0: day! welcome to the podcast. So you want to travel, you want to be free, you want to be a digital nomad. Uh, the RV, traveling by RV, is the safest way to do that right now. Obviously, with the coronavirus and everything else, you are totally away from everyone. However, there may be some strange encounters on your way.
1: And I look up and I'm like... And there is a Santa Claus, like a 250-pound big man, Santa Claus, yeah. drunkenly going up the ladder of my RV, and I'm like, wow. "Get the hell off my RV!" And I'm like, "Get off the roof!" And the guy jumped down. And I... So we are speaking with Josh Boone
0: from Pure Web Results. Uh, Josh is in Dayton, Ohio. That's in the USA. I was introduced by Joel Sierra and Delgado, and Josh traveled and worked across the U.S. and that's in an RV for over two years. So this is going to be a lengthy podcast. I was going to shorten it, but I was listening to it and I thought, well, nah, I'm not going to shorten. This is too interesting. There's too much great advice. He talks about the pros, the cons. It's really, really good. So I did not want to make it any shorter. You can find all the links in the show notes. You can find it on our website. That's podcast with an S dot earth. That's E-A-R-T-H. So without further ado, here's the podcast with Josh in Dayton, Ohio. Okay, so I'm here with Josh Boone, and Josh Boone is the CEO and founder of Pure Rap Results. And I believe you're in Dayton, Ohio. If I'm correct, is that correct? Or?
1: Yes, sir. Yeah.
0: Uh, great to have you. Welcome on the on the podcast, I should say. Hi, right? and uh, we spoke a little bit last uh, last week as well. Just. Uh, a we'll little pre-talk, and I know a little bit of what you've done. Obviously, uh, two years in an RV around the states—that's amazing, uh, I must say. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what's it like at the moment uh, in Dayton, Ohio? Obviously, COVID-19 and everything—you're not traveling around at the moment, eh?
1: No. Nah, I mean, honestly, things have kind of like stabilized here in Dayton. I mean, it's, yep. everyone's kind of gotten used to whatever this new normal is. Uh, <laughs> new
0: normal. So <laughs> it's
1: just like, you know, people are wearing masks and everyone's generally pretty respectful of yeah. it. Uh, but I mean, everyone's, you know, you gotta, gotta get on with your life. So it's just like, everyone's kind of, you know, people are still going out to restaurants and, bars are just socially distanced. And Mm. I mean, honestly, life for me personally, hasn't really changed that much. Um, the only difference is that I, you know, instead of traveling full time, I used to travel quite a lot with my partner out, you know, around the the country and and up in Canada with our clients. And, you know, I used to do that a lot. Like last year I was in New York, Vegas, Austin, Vancouver, several times, Chicago, the keys, uh i mean florida as a whole like i mean we, we went all over um you know all the flying way from out the vancouver, and,
0: all the way from vancouver all the way to the keys that's like opposite sides of the country isn't as it? far away oh, from yeah. each other as you can go yeah, so really. i mean we yeah. did a
1: lot of traveling yeah. so it's well, well well you know i'm not doing it full time anymore i mean yeah. i always I, my intention of having a home base again was never to be like okay i'm just <laughs> here in ohio never traveling but it was just the thing with traveling full time is that that is a full time job. Mm. Like people don't really realize. A lot of people that get into the the you know digital nomad or whatever else, they uh, I blame a lot of this on the influencers. To be honest with you, they kind of paint <laughs> a picture mm. of what the life is like, and they don't really talk about the realities of like yeah. uh, even just planning your routes and timing. And if you're working remotely, like having reliable internet and and everything else. How did you do a- that?
0: How did you do that with internet?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I, at one point I had, a, um, it was actually made for truckers, but okay. it was like this satellite, uh, cell phone booster and I had a hotspot. So it would, I think it was like f- increase the signal by like 40 times or something crazy like that. And you could just wire it directly in. Uh, and then they had a kind that would plug in with a cigarette lighter, but they weren't exactly cheap, like 400 bucks, but you can get cheaper ones. But I, I just, I always buy quality stuff. So like I just bought that and that helped a lot, uh, uh-huh. tremendously, but Other than that, I mean, yeah, it's it's even even with the boosting of the signal, it didn't always. It it would boost the signal, but that doesn't always mean you're going to get four G, you know, great speeds. Yeah, Uh, so that's your problem,
0: right?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, you can do the bare minimum, but if you're doing anything resource intensive, like let's say like you're a videographer or you do video editing, it's just like ooh, uploading that will
0: take days. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, so a lot of stuff like that. They just don't really talk about, uh, and they don't really paint that picture. So it was just, it was just a full time job doing that. And honestly, I really just kind of burnt out on it. the, the so I, I really wanted to have a home base again. Mm-hmm. I also really learned being on the road, like the value of having, you know, like friends and family sure. uh, and being around that community. I mean, I, I kind of learned how to very quickly cultivate community anywhere I went, which was cool and a skill that I'm really glad that I, I earned, but it's different like having people you grew up with and you know, th- there's just certain sort of safety, a feeling of like, it doesn't really matter where I'm at. Like I could break down anywhere or have any problem. If I'm within like three or four hours, like I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's something that like people don't really talk about. It was like this low grade anxiety of like, I'm traveling in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, I had like really good RV insurance where they could come out and tow me, but like (laughs) you might be sitting out there four or five hours waiting. So it's just like, there's a lot of things where I, I don't know. like is that happen a lot? That
0: you break down a lot, or uh, about three times? Yeah. Three times in two years. It's not that bad, is it?
1: No, no, it wasn't that bad. But one time, I there there was a what was it? I think it was O'Reilly's or whatever. Uh, there's some, some sort of auto parts store that I bought. I don't remember, but there's some auto parts store here where I bought two alternator, two replacement alternator belts to, you know, uh, the, just a bunch of different, just a bunch of belts and whatever else in case I had any problems. Yeah. And I'm in the middle of going from Dayton to new Orleans, which is about a 16, 18 hour trip really depends on how fast you're going. That, that's uh, also had,
0: bottom of the country, right? Dayton is like Ohio is close to Canada where new Orleans is like, you know, almost Mexico, isn't it? So that's like, yeah, so yeah, way, completely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, whole, uh, vertically, completely different Perfect. sides of the country. So yeah. it was, uh, that was a long, long trip and I was getting down there to meet a, meet a friend for a specific engagement. And I was just like, man, I got to get down there. And then, yeah, my, my alternator belt went out and I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is kind of a pain, but I have a replacement. I'll be fine. So then I get the, I get, I get the belt and I start getting all my tools, like everything set up and whatever else. And cop stopped by and was like, Hey, is everything all right? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm just t- putting away since this belt's probably take me a while. I was like, all right, cool. Well, if you need, you know, I'll circle back around in an hour. If you have any problems, blah, blah, blah. And I'm getting this, I get everything ready. And then I get the belt and I look at it I take it out of the, the, the box that I had it in it. It's a wrong belt. Wrong belt. And I'm like, what the, I'm like, come on, man. And like the dude that was working at this shop, I remember I was having a 20 minute conversation with him about the RV and all this other stuff. Yeah. He knew I was traveling and he got the wrong belt. And I was like, well, maybe you just gave me one, nope, same, two wrong belts. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I had to get towed. With the RV yeah. uh to some small town like 30 minutes away. Because I was in the middle of nowhere. It must have cost and- a lot of money. Yo. Uh well, thankfully my insurance covered all of it. Oh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, so that yeah, is why yeah, if you yeah. travel in an RV, you have to I highly recommend yeah. you get the best RV insurance possible right, right. Because and you always want roadside assistance. I had one person that said, oh, I don't need it. And then they actually had a breakdown and ended up being like, I got a quote. I asked the guy, he wasn't supposed to tell, tell me, but I got I asked the guy how, how much it was. And he's like, well, the insurance company paying like $1,600. $1,600. Oh, yeah. For towing yeah.
0: and the belt, that's a lot of money, man.
1: Yeah, so I had mm. to get towed to this pl- place and that was the other thing though, like people help you on the road. Like there was this shop, this this uh local auto parts store and they were closing mm-hmm. and they were they were closing in, like 10 minutes and one of the guys was a mechanic at a local shop and he and uh he's just like, "Hey, like I got towed there." Uh and and basically he's like, "Hey man, like I'll uh I'll help you put this on." Mm-hmm. And it was really it was like really chilly at the time. And like we, we, he went out there and like, he just helped me put the thing on, uh, cause he was just trying to get me where I needed to go as quickly as possible. He had, he brought all his tools and everything else. And it was was just really cool. And I asked the guy, I'm like, man, I'll pay you. Like I I tried to give him money and he just like would not take it. And he's just like, go to New Orleans, man. Have fun with your friend. I was just like, oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I slipped a, I slipped some money in his toolbox when he wasn't looking.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe he'll find <laughs> but, it next year or so. <laughs> but, but
1: it will pay it forward. You know, I just I just uh. love that, though. Like, I just, there, there's so many stories that I've had, just people helping you out and never asking for anything. So mm-hmm. I think in these, like, polarized times where the social media, you know, everyone's us versus them. It doesn't even matter if it's politics or it's this or it's that. Like, everyone's so polarized. But really, like, on a human level, what I learned on the road is, like, most people are just good. Yeah. just want to, you know, they're you really good that? people. I really believe that people yeah. are just good. Yeah, I think yeah, so. That's good. I, that's
0: beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And you, you, you started your business, Pure Results. Uh, obviously, I, I got this, uh, was introduced to you by Joshua Joel, uh, Shara Delgado. And yeah. he mentioned to me that you started Pure Results before you left. So you must have been working while you were on the road. So basically you're a digital nomad, aren't you?
1: Yeah. I mean, the story, the the long end of it is like, I've been in digital for about 17, 16, 17 years now. Like I guess I was like 13 building websites. My dad had a tree service and I built a website for him. And then I got into the SEO. I'm like, okay, how do I get people to go to this website? And sure. it just blew up. And I'm like, wow. And then small business friends started asking me to do it for them. Next thing I know, like I'm 13, 14, I'm freelancing, building small business websites and doing SEO. And then I started getting into paid marketing. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to build my own websites. And then that started costing me money. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, how do I make money off of this? So then I started getting to affiliate marketing, e-commerce. Next thing I know, I've got a, you know, a network of like e-commerce and affiliate sites. And, and I kind of, burnt out on that. Like I'm a person that does something for like two to four years and then I'm like, okay, next thing. So I kind of wanted to work more with those small businesses again. I started an agency, yep. did that for about three years and then uh, ended up merging with another local team and, you know, it was already going pretty well, but it just exploded from there. Uh, you know, we were, we had a team about eight to 10 people, we had about 10 people or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were just, you know, won a bunch of awards, got to work on some really cool projects, but I was also working, you know, hundred plus hour weeks, you know, I right. developed an ulcer, I had a lot, I I just didn't expect the business to scale and for it to get to that level where it's like, I'm like 23 years old and I'm like financially responsible for eight other people and their families. That's what
0: everyone wants when you start a business. That's that's the dream, isn't it or? It wasn't really what I intended, it
1: just kind of happened. Originally I kind of just wanted a lifestyle business and just kind of do whatever and then it kind of grew and then you get into this thing where you're like, grow, 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 grow and all these opportunities and it was really exciting. And I think that's the thing, I think that's the commonality a lot of people it doesn't matter if it's traveling or it's starting a business or freelancing or mm-hmm. whatever. you think you want one thing and then you get it, and you're like, Oh, okay, grass ain't always greener and for me i like I realize that like I like working with a small team or even just by myself. And I didn't really want the responsibility of like it just dealing with that many people and that many projects. That's the big thing. It was the amount of projects, how spread thin you are. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things if you're thinking about getting into doing it on your own, uh, I, I would really hesitate about starting any sort of agency or whatever else, and kind of consider like, what is it that you really like doing? Do you just like working on the projects with people? Maybe you, and maybe you have like an assistant or some people, partners that you work with. I'm a huge, huge proponent. That's what we're kind of dabbling with now is this kind of collective partner model, where it's like, okay, let's say you do web design or you're a copywriter, Mm -hmm. partner with a web designer. You don't have to have a business together. You you know, you can be independent freelancers and just partner together, send each other business, work with someone that does SEO, work with someone that does paid digital, work with someone who does, you know, branding or whatever else and kind of have this kind of unofficial little network of people. And then you're tied. The thing is, if they're working independently, then they have their own clients that they're getting, they have their own stuff. And then as they start getting more work and you start getting more work, your tides all raise together. Whereas if you're a singular brand, Mm -hmm. you're basically having to just be relying on one source of leads, one source of work, whatever else. And then you, you have to be, you have to be re- financially responsible for all those people. So,
0: it's better I to see collaborate so many business. people yeah.
1: just crash and burn that way yeah. and really burn out. And, and mm-hmm. so anyway, it just wasn't really what I wanted to do, I really wanted to travel. And like, it, it's just the way how we were so focused on the local town that we were in, because it, it was a Rust Belt town. That, you what know, does that mean? What does a, mean?
0: Rust Belt town? What
1: is that? Uh, Rust Belt is kind of a term here in the States to talk about the area around like Detroit, like Michigan, okay. uh, and, and some of these other towns that were heavily, heavy manufacturing towns. And then all the manufacturing jobs kind of went overseas, yeah, they yeah, got outsourced, yeah. and they call it Rust Belt because it's just this 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 string of manufacturing towns in uh, in that kind of you know Ohio Indiana uh, uh, Kentucky uh, Michigan kind of area mm-hmm. uh, West Virginia as well West Virginia gets rusted they have huge huge issues there they kind of get left out uh, of the conversation a lot but um, you know Pennsylvania as well Pittsburgh and and really they they really were hurting and and that was kind of what was happening in our town but it was starting to come back right when our agency was kind of blowing up and we were very involved in this kind of resurgence and mm-hmm. so like I felt like because of how localized, even though we were working with, you know, some international brands, like how localized we were like me traveling a a week here, a lot of things were happening. So it's like, I would be so out of the loop and I'm just like, it it just made, and also like, I just wanted to have time for myself, honestly. So I kind of just exited the business. I just decided like, I don't want to do this anymore after a lot of soul searching. And I, uh, a lot of it was inspired by, by honestly Bowie and, and Bourdain. Um, which Maybe I'd get into later, but I ended up deciding to leave. I sold my portion of the business, uh, sold everything that I had, bought an RV, and just traveled for two years. And That's I largely amazing. took those two years exactly. off. Uh, but I, I did do some consulting when I was on the road because I wanted to test.
0: Is that is, is that, that pure web result the consulting part of it? Because it's an agency as well, isn't it? So you went back, you went from one agency to another agency. It's called the anti agency
1: yeah because, like even though it's somewhat it's it's an augmented form of the agency model. i I frankly think the agency model is extremely broken for my own experience and also, uh-huh over, you know, over the last decade, like talking ca- with countless other agency owners, consultancy owners and clients, every client has had a massive amount of horror stories with agencies. And I'm like, why is it? Because a lot of these people I know, I know the teams, I know the founders, they're good people. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of straight up, just snake oil salesmen and sociopaths that run agencies. I met a lot of them, but there's also a lot of really great people that mean well and really want to do good work yet they also, you get them two, three, four, five years in, they start having a lot of these issues. And it's just a problem with the model itself. There's the issue of incentive. And I I go down a rabbit hole talking about all the reasons why it doesn't necessarily work. Mm -hmm. But that was one of the things is I had this hypothesis when I went on the road and I'm like, I I wanted to try consulting because I got to have more uh, personal relationships because that was the thing with the agency is like you're spread thin. We were juggling like 50 clients. 50 clients all over the country as
0: well
1: all over the world even a lot lot of them were in the dayton area but like all over the world like we worked with a a university in the middle east we worked with like all crazy some some really insane projects and Hmm. Uh, it was it was really interesting uh, and it was really cool. But like when you're spread that thin, it's mm. like it's really hard to truly deep dive into the work. And I got so busy just managing the business itself that I really didn't get to be as involved in the actual creative as I wanted to be. And I'm a creative, so the consulting was cool because I'm like I'm gonna have a small handful of clients that I work with, and I'm gonna have to develop really intimate relationships with them. I really got to almost be like an extension of their team. And I was talking to everybody: customer support, web developers, product designers. I was talking to everybody. Mm. And I got to go really deep and I started seeing like, oh, well, there's so many layers here, so many layers of things. And I started seeing these systematic issues of like, OK, these issues start way down here in customer service or, or here in product design and then they trickle up and I'm dealing with it on the top level but because we're trying to deal with it at the top level it just helps keeps happening over and over again at the bottom Mm -hmm. we have to create these positive feedback loops and stop that cycle and that's really what's happened so uh that's been super exciting and so like while we're kind of called the anti-agency uh, by a lot of my clients uh, lo- lovingly i guess is is because we're not trying to be like an agency where you rely on us where like you're outsourcing all the stuff we we come in you know and and i'm coming in as like almost like a virtual cmo mm-hmm. and and you know you're working alongside the ceo and their cmo or whatever i have an outside perspective i can see things from the outside sure. that they just okay, don't can't you. see yeah, yeah. so i come in and what I'm predominantly looking for is like, yeah, how can we solve those issues? And then what I do is help them come up with solutions internally. Uh, and what I've been trying to do is talk with other, you know, other freelancers, consultants, agency owners, and be like, hey, can we kind of open source this a little bit?
0: Just network, make a network basically out of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been really cool. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's kind of like on a, unofficially just putting together kind of this this, this little kind of network of people particularly i see this in the digital nomad community everyone's very uh, collaborative
0: when you were traveling obviously you traveled in an rv uh two years and you worked uh did you meet a lot of other people because obviously i saw an article as well we coming to that a little bit later but might as well do it now a yeah. lady who went away on, on a holiday in an rv and she met no one she only talked to her son so wow. you say met quite a few people via dating apps uh, you mentioned last time that we spoke or
1: yeah i i kind of uh jokingly say i tendered across america <laughs> 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 i I, I, uh, I was single i'm also polyamorous so I, I i kind of believe in the me personally i don't i don't say other people do this but uh mm-hmm. you know i don't monogamy isn't necessarily for me i have, you know ethical open you know kind of uh, non-monogamous relationships. So like, to me, I'm just like, Hey, you know, like I'm, I'm going to just kind of go around and I wasn't using, you know, everyone, I think a lot of people think of tender as like a hookup app, but honestly tender is because of the way it's structured, Mm -hmm. it makes it really easy to connect with people. And honestly, most of these, these sites, a lot of people don't know what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things I'd say about tender. I think this is really crucial, even outside of just talk about traveling in general. It's like, A lot of times when I'm traveling, I loved going to the small little towns because it's interesting. They're kind of like isolated little communities and they're, they can be very weird and very unique. And there's also a lot of overlap. Weird in which way?
0: Which, why why weird? Come on. (laughs) uh,
1: Because like you kind of get these interesting little things that are culturally okay in one town. And then you go to the next town and people are like, why are you doing that? Like, it's interesting. One town, like, people would literally serve, like, almost like uh, they do it in China and in Thailand, I've heard. Like, they will serve their beer with ice in it. And this was just a thing that a couple of the, and I loved it personally, but this is something that uh, several of the bars ice. were doing. I, I don't think I'll have that. No way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. If you get like a lager, like a really light lager, uh-huh. and you got like an ice cold mug with ice, it's actually pretty refreshing. Uh, but, huh. but yeah, not for everybody. <laughs> but it's interesting where like, it was it was weird, like this town, like it was kind of like a novelty. A couple of these bars, like old school bars that have been around for 60, 70 years were doing it. It was just kind of a thing. But then those people grew up and it kind of became this thing in this town. And I was even talking to people like 30, 40 miles away. And they're like, what the hell, what are you talking about? I never, I mean, they didn't even know that was a thing, but it was just uh-huh. this little, it was like a little pocket of like five or six kind of old school bars where people just did that. And it was just kind of interesting. So it's just, you know, there was just uh, you could you could apply that in a lot of different ways. There was just a lot of things that culturally were happening in these towns that like were really kind of weird and, and unique that I just, you didn't really see other places. Mm-hmm. And I would also kind of attract, uh, the local weirdos cause I myself am, <laughs> uh, very much so openly as weird as possible. Like right. I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm like, that was literally, uh, one of the things on Tinder, I'd say, Hey, we want to get a beer and talk about, you know, talk about weird stuff or whatever. And people were just like, you know, yeah. Or, or, or I would keep it really open-ended or, or sometimes huh? people would say, uh, what kind of, it depends what kind of weird stuff. And generally I would say four out of five times I did not really, you know, uh, click with those people. Right. Uh, I, you really clicked with the people that were super spontaneous. It's just like weird stuff. I like it. It's, that it sounds like an adventure. Okay, let's go. And so it's just like, there's this, cause kind of just like, there were a lot of people that were on tender and they either, you know, didn't really know what they were looking for or they weren't looking for anything in particular. And there were some people that were on there that were just, I'm looking for a relationship. I want to get married. I'm like, they usually wouldn't connect with me. Cause they're like, Hey, you're traveling. Like my profile picture was literally me and the, you know, it's on top of the RV. Like ah, right. it was okay. very, I made yeah. it very obvious. I, that was the thing I would say is like, you're trying to meet up with people, be oh, oh, 120%. Upfront with your expectations. There were some people that I would meet, and they were traveling, and they would try to like act like they were locals. And I'm like, that's the worst way of doing it because you're starting off the relationship super insincere. And also, if you're just a local, you're one of you know three, four hundred guys in this this town or whatever that are on tender. If you're like the person that's traveling. Yeah, maybe one out of 10 people might be interested in meeting you because maybe they're looking for something more long term or whatever else. But that one person is going to be super into meeting up with you because they don't know how long you're going to be in town for. How long were so you there for? Look- how
0: long were you in a town like that?
1: What is your average? It depends. Sometimes it was a day. Sometimes it was a week. Sometimes it was a couple of weeks. I didn't really have any real plans. Like sometimes I would make plans with people, like I said, like the time in New Orleans or like the first time I went to New Orleans. Uh, I, I was there for, you know, kind of surprising a friend of mine for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And so like, that was, you know, I was wanted to be there by a specific day, but I didn't know how long I was going to be in New Orleans for, I figured I'd stay there for a week or two. I ended up staying three, four months. I stayed through Mardi Gras. Uh, it was excellent. like January oh, when I went there cool. and I stayed, I fell in and that was the coolness of it. There wasn't any sort of, you know, it wasn't an agenda. I could just kind of do whatever. Right. So what does
0: it depend on? If you stay somewhere, or you move on.
1: Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with culture and connection. So it's just like, I do not care about seeing tourist stuff. I could care less about tourist stuff. I'm the kind of person that would go to Paris. I would like glance at the Eiffel tower from a distance. Be like, Okay. I saw that. I'd have no interest. The only reason I would care about maybe going on the top of Eiffel tower Mm -hmm. is just to see the view, but I would not care at all to be like, Oh, I went to the Eiffel tower, take an Instagram photo. I wouldn't do any of that. You don't like influencers, hey? You don't like influencers. Yeah, no, I don't at all. And I could get into that, man. I got, man, I, I, uh, I I brought up, I think I brought up the Paris thing because you and I talked last conversation Uh about this. I was down in New Orleans and, uh, New Orleans is definitely a hotspot for travelers, you know, people coming in for a trip or whatever else. And I met a lot of people, you know, I would like post, like, hey, you know, I use the digital nomad hashtag and I would use New Orleans hashtag. So sometimes people would find me and there were other influencers and they'd be like, oh, hey, you're in New Orleans too. You seem really cool. Then, And they, you know, or I would hit them up or vice versa. And like, we ended up like, Hey, you want to go get a drink? And, and, and I'd be like, yeah. And I meet up with these influencers. And there's this one chick who said she was, she went to like 30 something countries. I was like, wow, that must be really cool. Like, what's it like you know like what's your favorite place and she's like well i just got back from paris i was like wow okay like what you know what did you do in paris and I, i'm thinking about if i went to paris like mm-hmm. i want to go to you know like really good restaurants i want to find like little hole in the wall places like places that have existed for forever and have I would really just good food. And
0: personally but hey yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. walk
1: around whatever i, I just want to talk to people and like she's like oh yeah i went to you know she's just naming off like all these famous places and she's like i went to the apple tower and this and then i left and i'm like so you literally just hit all the Instagram spots, took your selfies and left. She's like, yeah, pretty much. And like, that's what she did. That's she was awful. just a professional. It well, just went you know, around and got all the it, Instagram spots. Nice. Good
0: for her. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, to each their own, but I'm just like, this just, I feel like you could do that. And then also have a lot of adventures in between. And there's also a lot of people that I met that maybe were traveling for the right reasons but they were really fake on social media because I, they would act like they're one way. And now, and there was this one person that like made themselves seem super adventurous. Yep. And uh, then we met, and I was like, "Man, we should go to Snake and Jakes." And like, "What's Snake and Jakes?" I'm like, "Oh, it's on the other side of town. It's just like it's this is house that's like almost dilapidating. Like, Anthony Bourdain's been there, a bunch of stuff. It's like this amazing place. It's written it's up entirely by red Christmas lights, and like, there's a dog there. It's just chilling, and it's it's dim. It's awesome. It's super divey. I loved it. It was one of my favorite places I'd ever been to. And uh, and they were. I showed them some photos, and they're like, "That looks pretty gnarly." Eh, I'm good, and I'm like, uh, "I'm like." We should go to this place. And they just any place that was even remotely sketchy, like they didn't want to go to. They didn't want to leave the French Quarter. They didn't want to do anything. And they just seemed really scared. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm not a big fan of influencers in general. <laughs> but you you stayed in New Orleans for quite a while, for a couple of months. or So you
0: basically, it's not you just lived a the life there, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So just I, like I only for
1: nine months, yeah. and like oh, I uh, off and on in between, but like yeah, yeah I stayed three, four months one time, and I spent like four, three, four months, eh, like like maybe two months another time, like a week, a couple of weeks here and there, a couple of months here and there. I know so up why like did nine you months. months. Why I,
0: did you leave New Orleans again?
1: Uh, adventure. I mean, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the first time I left is because I was on the road and I was like, okay, now I'm to the next place. You know, right, okay, uh, yeah. I, I stayed through Mardi Gras. And I felt like by the... time, eh? Oh yeah. But I, I loved mm. it. There was so much in new Orleans to adventure and I was meeting all these really cool people. Ah, and okay. like, I yeah. just, I I've built a community there. And that's the thing. Like, I think it goes back to your original question. Like why stay in a place for, you know, a day or three months. Yeah. And like, to me, it was just like, Okay, how much stuff is there to do that's weird and adventurous and new, new, new experiences? Like, so I'm a novel addict. Like, what's what's is there anything new that I can learn or whatever? And the smaller the towns, the kind of the less there generally is of that. Not always, but mm-hmm. in general. And then the other thing was is like, is there a really cool community there uh, that I can kind of tap into? And you know, what what did I make? almost like these touchstone people, like the kind of linchpins. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I would just meet people that are kind of linchpins in like certain communities. And they would introduce me to all the people. And basically like, I would like within a week, like be able to go to bars, be like, oh, hey Max or oh, hey Brenda or whatever. Like you just start meeting all these people. Cause they would introduce you. Like one person I met, she was a server in New Orleans. And like, she would just take me to all the bars and restaurants and she knew all the servers, all the bartenders, all, you know, everybody. Mm-hmm. Cause she was just in the industry. And like, and then I would go around, I'd see those people. And then like, the, you know, I became friendly with them even outside of the context of that. And then I'd meet people in the music scene. And, you know, I make music myself and a lot of my friends are musicians, my partner and our roommate are actually musicians uh, that were in New Orleans and they came up here with me. So it's like, I'm very much so got involved in a lot of that stuff. I love going to live shows and I meet people there and then they go, oh, you got to go to this place. And so like, did I meet those people? And did I kind of have that community? And could I cultivate that pretty quickly? And if I did, then generally that would make it more and more interesting.
0: And then you stay longer basically in that place, right? If you find a community in a place, you stay. If you don't, you move on. Is that how it is?
1: Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. yeah I mean, okay. yeah. there was a lot of variables, but I think if you break boil it down, it's kind of that there's certain towns I was in that seemed kind of cool, but like, I just couldn't connect with people. And I didn't have that in. Like a lot of times what I would do is I would find like really cool kind of coffee shops, like artisan coffee shops, you know, kind of hipster kind of places uh-huh. uh, because I found those people to be really good resources. And so I would go up to the co- you know, I'd go there two or three times. I kind of, you know, do, you know, do whatever I was doing, whether I was working on projects or just coming up with logistics. You know, I'd just sit with my laptop and just say, okay, where am I going next? And I'd research places or whatever. Or I'd just do a lot of writing. I did a tremendous amount of writing on the road, just personal writing and um if i was kind of a chill book coffee or what
0: is a diary book um notes
1: what is it a lot of things i uh-huh. kind of did, did pretty aimlessly i was really trying to distilling down a lot of the lessons that i learned both in you know just business and in, on traveling and right. in general because what ended up happening was i was having a lot of these conversations time and time again with people i kind of became almost like a bar therapist <laughs> like cuz when i was going uh-huh. when i was going into these small towns like particularly the small towns uh-huh. a lot of times they don't get a lot of new people you know, sometimes I'm going to towns where they, the population is literally a couple thousand people. Uh, happy to so, see you. Yeah, yeah. and then mm-hmm. also a lot of times like they just see the RV, particularly right. like let's say it's a bar or a restaurant where they have windows that are facing outward, uh, forward, and the parking lot is right in front of it, and they see a big RV come plying up, and I come out of it. I got like a jean jacket, and military boots on. And they're like, "Who the? Who are you?" And mm-hmm. like, you know, and like, you know, people come up to me. And, you know, I was always, you know, I got to be really, you know, I learned how to you know just talk to people. I'd go up to Bar and be like, Hey man, how are you doing? And I'm like, and they'd be like, I'm like, you know, what kind of stuff you got? And I'd be like, okay, I'll take a, a Miller Lite or whatever. That was the thing. I would always, if it was a place that particularly conservative areas, really conservative areas, um, like I would I wouldn't, I wouldn't, which, I wouldn't which, which are
0: conservative.
1: In the United States, it's usually rural, like okay. in the United States, it's, and I think this is pretty much everywhere, but particularly okay. in the United States, more so than anything if you look on a map like just for example uh the politics are just a good way of visualizing it but if mm-hmm. you look at the difference between like uh democrats and republicans and you look at a map of where it's voting uh the entire united states is just like red that's and and the only areas that are blue are super blue states on the coast or uh bigger cities and so the biggest divide in the united states isn't really democrat or republican or whatever it's rural and urban uh-huh. And so when I would go to these rural areas, you know, people didn't really like a lot of change a lot of the time. And so I would come in and I would look around to see what everybody else is drinking. And I'm someone who drink pretty much anything. I don't really care. Uh, so I was just going in there and like, if I saw mostly people drinking like Miller lights, Bud light, you know, whatever else, uh, some places like Rolling Rock and stuff like that. I'd be like, all right, I'll take a Miller Lite. I'll take a Bud Light or whatever. And then I kind of, particularly like if you don't know, like if they don't have like a, a, you know, like cans or bottles on the back of the wall, or they mm-hmm. don't have like obvious, like a freezer or fridge or something, or you, if, if they don't have like a, a stuff on tap, like if, if it's not super obvious what the options are, mm-hmm. and, and I would just like ask for the most vanilla thing possible, like Bud Light, Miller Lite, whatever. And I'd have that drink and then I would suss the room out. So I would always dress in a way that like, could be kind of like, that's why I did the jean jacket, military boots, a white V neck shirt, like a a trucker hat or something like that. I would keep it simple where I could go into a super liberal town and they would be like, Oh, okay, you're cool. You look like a hipster kid. Or I could go into a rural town and it'd be like, you look like a, you know, jean jacket, white t-shirt. You look like, you know, you could have been a military kid or something like, so I was trying to not stand out too much because I, what I wanted to do is any of those things got in the way. Like, I already stood out. Did you ever feel unwelcome? Um, Sometimes. Not very much. Sometimes. Like, there were certain times I would roll into a town and they were uh, very kind of tribalistic. And they just didn't really like locals i i or not sorry foreigners I, I would say that predominantly tended to be small towns that were just outside of a medium-sized city that was going through a lot of growth uh-huh. that is a commonality that i saw because what they were seeing is gentrification and they're like oh, we don't want you know maybe 15 years ago they would have been totally cool but now they're like, okay, you guys are coming in here. Now we got a bunch of people coming in and visiting our city. Like to now we got over. all these people coming uh, in here. Uh. Yeah, buying up our properties, kicking us out. We like our way that we grew up here. We like the way things are. Don't do it. So I think I kind of got, I think they were kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of just whooping me in with that. I didn't really take that very personal. And there were some areas that were like, I could tell it's like, hey, this is a bar for locals. Like, you might be cool. You might not. We don't care. Just, please leave. Like I got that vibe sometimes. There's also some biker bars that were like, they may or may not be like, you know, selling drugs and doing a lot of other stuff. And mm-hmm, I think they were mm-hmm. just like, we don't know you, you may or may not be a cop, just get out of here. Yeah. And I, I took the clue pretty quickly, you know? So I, I didn't, I didn't really feel unsafe in a lot of those places. Uh, but I felt unwelcomed. And so I was just like, I'm not going to encourage. Uh, I'm not going. I'm not going to ask for problems. I'm not going to look for problems. Like, if
0: I may ask, do you think it's different for women traveling in an RV?
1: Yeah, safety. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, unfortunately, that's just an aspect of being a woman in modern society. Um, yeah. It's it, it sucks, and I, I wish it wasn't that way. Did, but, did you
0: meet women uh, traveling around uh, like you did?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. I would say that the 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 women that were traveling by themselves tended to be a lot like me in the essence that they were just adventurous people and they uh-huh. were really. Um, there's two ways that it would be. They would either be really introverted. They would kind of like have like a cat or a pet or whatever, and they'd stay at like RV parks or whatever else, yep. and they or, or or campgrounds or whatever or like maybe. Um, uh, I didn't really spend a, a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest, where it seems like there's a lot of like BL, BLM kind of uh, huge state-owned properties where you can just kind of camp for free and whatever. I mostly was like in the South and then the East Coast that uh, doesn't really have a lot of that. There okay. is there is some more mm-hmm. than I think people think, but not nearly as much as on the West Coast here in the United States. But uh that tended to be that but then there was also some women that i met that were kind of like me that were just kind of like (laughs) adventure pixies that were just like we're gonna go on adventures and do whatever and i think they relied heavily on their intuition and uh, their ability to connect with people and make friends really quickly. And right. I think that kind of safety in numbers, like they can kind of make friends anywhere. If they were a little, if they weren't that way, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to speak from a woman's perspective, sure, but that's sure. kind of my Sure, but my you met him
0: and you traveled that way. So I just thought, just ask, you know, because this, obviously is, this is a big thing, RV. It's, it's safe, you know. You, 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 yeah. you can meet people if you want to, but you can also be on your own. And with COVID 19 and social distancing. This is a way to go. A lot of people have an RV but just go, you know, one tank away from home really so they can get back there. That's not what you did. Um how do you Hello. see that for the next future, basically? Because obviously with COVID nineteen, um would you go
1: again? Um I would go again, me personally, like I've kind of reached uh, old man status. Where oh, man, I'm just you're 30 like, years old or something, right? Come on. Yeah, I know. I feel, <laughs> man, I've lived a lot. I've okay. lived a lot of life in a very short amount of time. Right. Uh, I, I, it's like I, I kind of say sometimes, like, I feel like my life is a series of David Bowie characters where oh. like I go really deep in one direction for a couple of years and then yeah. I figure it out and I'm like, I could keep doing that. That's going well, but I want to do something else weird and just try something new. Um, so I've lived a lot of different types of lives and I've just experienced a lot. And like, I don't know if I would have the patience to do it like full time again,
0: but you got your RV, right? You still have it. Oh yeah. It. I still yeah, have it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I
1: have it. I'm actually thinking about taking it out this weekend and taking, just kind of going by myself. Uh, there's some, there's some camp camping areas, uh, that allow RVs and it's kind of off the grid. There's no, you know, there's no electric or any other stuff. They don't have like, you know, Nothing. hookups or oh, anything. Okay. They just right. have like areas where you can just park it and, that's that uh it's free so like, i think i might go do that and just kind of go camping how, how did you do
0: that because you didn't really go to camcon so you never had electricity or water solar or solar yeah
1: yeah i had solar i had two giant solar panels installed uh uh-huh. we, we, we installed them we had to put a whole new we completely remodeled the entire thing uh-huh. so i bought it and uh how did you buy it Oh no, no. It's a 1987 Toyota mini Cruiser, there So you know. it was one Second of those, house, it looks yeah. like a Toyota pickup truck, right? It's a four cylinder, okay. four cylinder 22 re <laughs> engine, uh, hauling 6,500 pounds. It was great. It was awesome. Wow, um, that, yeah. Yeah. It was, I called it mighty mouse because like, it was, it was just uh very, people would like, I think sometimes it was so funny. Sometimes I'd be driving in the road and people would be very frustrated by how slow I was going. And then they would pass me. And as they're passing me and they would look to my right, they would be like, they, I think they would expect like the big GMC, you know, the big, like, you know, van fronts, uh-huh. like the front of it, the, the cab. And they would see, it's like a old school Toyota pickup truck. And they would be like, Oh, wow. Okay. And they'd be like, that's sorry. I, <laughs> then they understood. They're like, that's why you're going so slow. Yeah. But it was all one thing. I mean, it was a real RV. Like you could go in the back through the, through the cab and the whole thing, but I love them. They're mm-hmm. actually, uh, there's actually communities just for Toyota. I think it's like toyotamotorhomes.org or something like that. There's whole communities of people that just have those Toyota motorhomes, and they're super fuel efficient. I mean, I got like 13 to 16, I would say like anywhere from eight to 15, 16, even miles per gallon which is insane here. I mean, like most RVs, you're talking about like four to 10, maybe, maybe 12. I mean, so I really varied a lot. You know I mean? How much wind there was, if straight, how, you know, a lot of, a lot of variables, but I got, I was very surprised by how affordable it was. Small gas tank though. So I had to fill up a lot. Um, you
0: plan for that. You planned. You planned your trips, right? You went to places where you actually asked around uh, how to get to the next place, right? That's what you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I so, did.
1: I did a lot. Of, I mean, like my ba- background is in search optimization, so yeah. like I know how to use Google really well, yeah. and like I just did a lot of searching, and I would always find the most scenic trips possible. I would try to find the the scenic weird. I try to go through small little towns and, and I liked, I, I found, I forget what it was, but there was an RV podcast I was listening to. And I think they said like they would do a max of 400 miles a day. And you, and yeah. that's about what I did. That's I did about, did about yeah. a max of 400 400? miles a day. Okay, yeah. If, uh, if yeah. I was going somewhere yeah. fast, I'd try to do less than that. Yeah. Because if you go any faster than that, you're just grinding. Yeah. You know, you're just, you just on. And particularly in the RV that I had, I couldn't go any higher than 60, 65 miles an hour. I mean, I could go 70, If I really needed to, but man, it would push the engine hard. And uh I never I never had I never had issues with performance with the RV. It was just speed. Uh So like if you push it too hard, like I as long as you were you were, you know, you were easy on it and you're respectful of the engine, never had I go up. I went up the Smoky Mountains and the thing. Super, super steep. Even the truckers with huge rigs were going like 10 miles an hour with their hazards on. That was me. You just slow and steady and you'd be fine. Um but but yeah, I mean I had solar. Uh, Installed One of my clients has a remodeling business and like he helped me. He thought it it was a really cool project because he's used to houses, like building houses and stuff. So you got to work on an RV and I think it was, he thought it was kind of cute. And then he started working on it. It's like, this is a cool problem to solve. It was like a unique problem for him because it's so small. So yeah, we put a new roof on it, remodeled the inside. We put solar in it, uh, had a bunch of batteries installed. Um, I really didn't hook up that much, honestly. Uh, I had a gas heater that didn't need electric that I would use in the winter. Things got crazy. Um, I really never, I had a shower in it. We I didn't ever really use it. Honestly, I think I used it once, really? never really used it. You just did not shower or no. I mean, I would just go to like gyms and stuff like that. Like I would just go across the country and just like, Hey, five bucks, go. Did into you a ever gym stay in a hotel
0: uh, while you were going around eh.
1: a couple of times,
0: like, maybe just, you know, mostly if
1: I met somebody and I'm just like, Hey, let's just get, get out of it. it is hot. I'm like, let's just, yeah, let's just get a hotel uh, or Airbnb or something like that. Uh But yeah, I don't know. I, I did a, I, I traveled really adventurously. Like I would just park on the side. I just find neighborhoods or, uh, areas that seem cool that didn't seem like the RV would be in the way. I try to be, I want to make this very clear. I did a lot of street parking Mm -hmm. and I did a lot of stuff. Um, and I tried to be extremely respectful of neighborhoods and people's stuff. I wouldn't like leave the RV parked in the same spot for three, four days. I would try and move it around every day. Uh-huh. I would try to not park in front of anybody's driveway. I tried to find spots that were really out of the way because I didn't want to perpetuate what a lot of people had negative stereotypes of, of people that were traveling yeah. and people would see the RV and they'd be like, oh God, this is going to be a problem. And I always try to be really, like, I have like a a, 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 a laminated thing in the front window that actually had like a big smiley face on. It It was like, Hey, like I'm kind of adventuring and like, I'm, you know, staying with friends in the neighborhood or whatever. Like, you have any problems, here's my number, text me or call me. And it would just go to a like a Google voice number. So they wouldn't okay. have my actual number, yeah, but it would, it would text me yeah, or call yeah, me. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes people would, they'd be like, Hey, like you're kind of like, uh, we're about to do some construction or whatever. So you're kind of in the way. And I'd be like, yeah, no problem. They'd be like, okay. And they were generally super cool about it. I did have one or two people that were kind of crazy. And like, they wanted to like call the cops on me and do whatever. It's like, this is illegal. I'm like, actually, no, it's not. And like, whatever. But I would end up talking to some of the neighbors and they'd be like, yeah, sh- that person's just kind of nuts. She calls on everybody or whatever. Did, every, did
0: anyone knock on your door in the middle of the night and say, hey, get the hell out of here?
1: Uh, Once or twice, but it wasn't really that bad. I did have like, I think the worst problem that I had was people that just weren't respectful of the RV itself. And it was mostly kids. Uh So like when I was in New Orleans, I was staying with a friend, I parked in her driveway and she was right near Tulane, which is like kind of a party college down there in New Orleans. And a lot of people, you know, send you know, rich kids, rich parents send their kids to Tulane and you know, you've got, (laughs) they go to New Orleans. And so like, they're just getting wasted all the time partying (laughs) as it's tradition in New Orleans, which is fine. But I remember I was there during Christmas time and, uh, there was a couple like kind of college bars down the road and th- I was in the middle, it was probably 3am and I was kind of like just sleeping in the RV and all of a sudden I feel doo-doo, 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 and like the RV is shaking and I kept my gun and my knife, like next gun. to my You're told a gun and a knife. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So like okay. I, I, had, I, had, I, I didn't get the gun cause I, that would just, that was, that was the thing to get real. I never, never had to open. I never had to get the gun. Okay. No, thankfully okay. never right. had anything, but I did grab my knife yeah. and you like did, did grab the happens, knife.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Just uh-huh. in case just but, in case like, yeah. I,
1: I would never, never result to that if I didn't need to cause okay. I feel like you're just likely to accelerate unnecessarily. So, uh, but I had my knife and I like, I like burst of the door open cause I could see through the, the rear, there was a, a, a window uh-huh. in the, the rear of the RV. Yep. with some blinds and I could see the shadows because there was a street light across the street. Yeah. So I could see the shadows of somebody getting on top of the RV. And I'm like, what is going on? So I burst the door, the the, the back door open mm-hmm. and I look up and I'm like, and there is a Santa Claus, like a 250-pound <laughs> big man, Santa Claus, yep. drunkenly going up the ladder of my RV. And I'm like, wow. get the hell off my RV. And I'm like, get off the roof. And the guy jumped down and I look to my left, and there's two like stumbling drunk elves that look like they saw a ghost and they just turn around and run. (laughs) like, and and then the Santa Claus is like, Oh, I'm sorry. And he just like runs off. They were just a bunch of drunk college kids that just didn't think, I think they were probably like, Oh, I'm going to get on top of this RV. And I think they were just going to take a photo. Yeah. Of course.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: But like people don't realize uh, like those ladders and the roof, like they're not meant for people to be up there. And like, I had just like a year prior redone the entire roof of that thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my god so like that was like that's my baby and i was like get off of that people just don't realize those things that would be like someone just like trying to climb on your roof of your house for just no reason like oh i'm gonna take a photo like you'd never do that i don't know why people think it's okay to do it in rv maybe it's just it's just there or the i I don't know and i've had some other people mess around with it uh and and well at least you knew it was christmas right Yeah, yeah. yeah that's so, good. Like, <laughs> just some <laughs> random guy yeah. in like June like dressed up as Santa Claus. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean it was it was it ended up being all right. I actually think I saw one of the elves later because a couple days later, uh my friend I was staying with, I was walking her dog. Uh-huh. And I'm walking and there's this guy with the same kind of build as him. All right. I couldn't really see cuz he's, you know, he's dressed I'm sure in elf comp.
0: Put something else on but, in the meantime.
1: Yeah, but yeah. but like I I'm walking down the street with my with uh, you know, my friend's dog. And I just see this guy turn the corner and he looks at me and does a double take. His eyes get wide. He just turns around, just walks away fast. I'm like, I think I was one of those elves. Uh (laughs) He's just like, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be recognized. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I I overall didn't really have a lot of problems. I got what I needed out of it. And one of the reasons why I got off the road and I wanted to have a base of operations again was because Uh it was just like, it started feeling like Groundhog Day. And like it didn't really matter where I was. Like I could be in the Keys, I could be in New Orleans, I could be, uh, you know, in Detroit, I could be in Chicago—all vastly different places. Those might as well be different countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, I started feeling like, okay, this place, this bar, this restaurant, even these people—like I felt like I was having the same. I was meeting like the same types of people. I was having the same types of conversations. Yep. Hey, this bar, this restaurant, it's kind of like this place and this place, but in the Keys.
0: You're getting pleasure about it. Yeah.
1: I think I got what I needed out of this. I still want to travel. Absolutely. I still want to travel the world, but I don't think I need to do this full time because I'm like, I started yeah. feeling like I had a lot to teach people and I had—I wanted to have a mission. One of the things that really kind of woke me up, and this is what I would say, is if you're like traveling, you're thinking about traveling full time or whatever, and you're kind of doing it because you're searching for something. Mm -hmm. What you're searching for, if you're anything like me and most of the people that I talk to is like, the answers are, they're, they're inside. They're with you. you, If you're going out and search for Valhalla, like you're not going to find it. And uh, the thing that really woke me up also right around that time is when Bourdain passed away and just thinking about, you know, here's a guy who had been everywhere, done everything, accomplished Mm -hmm. whatever. And it was just like, I think he still kept searching and he just didn't have anything else to search for, I guess. So like, I don't know, I'm not trying to project on why he, he did what he did, but it just made me start thinking about it for myself. And you know, what, what, you know, if I kept doing this for five, six years, where do I see myself? Like, you know, and, and then I was down in the Keys for a second time. And the second time I was down in the Keys, I spent a lot of time in Key West and just talking with a lot of these retirees, people that had worked their entire lives uh to be able to retire in the keys which is not a cheap place no at all one of
0: the most most expensive places right in that area yeah
1: so i would roll in there and a lot of people were really confused they're like who are you you like some sort of trust fund kid or what i'm like no i just traveled i had a business and sold it and i had enough to kind of you know get this rv and travel for two years and people would start opening up like oh yeah i had a business yeah i went through a lot of stuff the burnout whatever and then, then you know you get a couple more drinks deep and you start having a real pretty real conversation sure and you know, we would have those conversations, but then, you know, I kind of go back. I I liked finding like home bars and I had one or two home bars that were in the keys. And I started just seeing the same people there every single day. (laughs) And then I started talking with those people and they would tell me the same thing over and over again. You know, it's like, I worked my entire life to get to where I'm at. And I honestly didn't prioritize my family, my friends, a lot of them want nothing to do with me or they're a widow and their kids want nothing to do with them, whatever else. And they're just like, I got here because this was the destination. I wanted to be able to retire in the keys. Here mm-hmm. I am. And nothing. The are bored. You know? Mostly
0: like a piece yeah, of glass and then down at a certain yeah. point.
1: They're just, away. Yeah, they're just, they're yeah. just killing time until, uh-huh. until there is no more time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was really mm-hmm. unfortunate. And don't get me wrong. That's not the keys as a whole. Like keys is, the keys sure. was really cool. I met a lot of really cool people there. Uh, a lot of really cool people, but there was a lot of you know there was there was a certain set of the population that was is like that, that. and it keys really is
0: particular the keys or is that other places Florida as, well? as a
1: whole I would say yeah but the keys in particular because the keys is like a, an extreme version of it I mean the right. keys is just like the keys is like the destination that if you didn't grow up there like a lot of people want to go to that didn't grow up in Florida like they grew up in like Canada or like you know New York or whatever and it's like the keys is like it's the far it's literally the most southern point in the United the continental mm-hmm. United States nice
0: climate like, white beaches yeah
1: yeah yeah it's warm all year. Like the coldest I think it gets is like 60 degrees. If that, like it's like seventies most of the time minimum. So it's just like, uh, it's yeah. Anyway. So like, I just have those conversations and I'm just like, I, I need a purpose. And I really wanted to help, you know, help people as much as I can. And that's where the kind of the consultancy came in and working with these founders and a lot of what we also do increasingly is working with these founders on kind of what I call like journey optimization. What I'm looking at is I'm potentially seeing some of these founders who are going through, you know, they have this business and it's scaling really, really quickly. And basically they it's growing so fast that sometimes they lose focus of what they're actually optimizing for, Mm -hmm. like why they even started the business to begin with. And when I talk with those founders, it's almost like I see like almost like a Obi-Wan Kenobi like Force Ghost or whatever like in Star Wars. I see like one of those people at the keys. I see like them as an older person sitting in the keys and I'm mm-hmm. like I want to help steer them away from that. All right. I don't want them to Did have I that. Do want that? Uh, they here's the thing. A lot of times those people in the keys didn't uh, what what I'm getting at is like they weren't really totally aware of what was happening when it sure. was happening. Yeah. They were, they were folks so focused on their business mm-hmm. that they had blinders on. Yeah. And like, I don't want these founders that I'm working with to get so darn ra- down the rabbit hole of like optimizing for something that actually doesn't truly align with their long-term goals. And a lot of times these founders live in echo chambers where everyone's like scale, 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 grow, grow, grow. Yep. They don't have someone from the outside. I mean, I'm here in Ohio. I don't live in Silicon Valley or wherever else where there's all this pressure, sure. to, like, Silicon just value is
0: even, even more. Uh, yeah.
1: So like, I'm kind calm. of an outsider and I have that distance and I'm like, Hey, like what, what, like, why are you doing what you're doing? Mm-hmm. and trying to reel people back in and like i wish i had somebody like that like with the agency and all that stuff like when i started going grow 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 or whatever and i was working 110 hour weeks to yeah. kind of reel me back in and be like hey like maybe you should do this
0: sure it's pretty much the american way though or am i wrong just being very very successful don't worry about anything else just focus on your career on your job on your business and make it and then at the end like you say you might end up in the keys but isn't that isn't that what you're supposed to do
1: Yeah. I think, I think we're kind of sold this false dream of like, you know, the American dream and, you know, it's just like the American dream was never a good dream to begin with, but at least it was Mm -hmm. something that most people could kind of maybe get, but you can't even get that anymore. Everyone's buried in student loans and everyone has all this debt and, you know, the, the amount of wealth inequality is rising and rising properties are going up, rent is going up, cost Mm -hmm. of living's going up. And I think people feel really demoralized, like there's really no escape. And so, when some of these founders, they're people that often I find a strong correlation between people that are founders and come from a traumatic upbringing. Strong correlation, oh, yeah? yeah, because it's because of their traumatic upbringing and their coping mechanism is to basically get out of it, get out of the whatever they can. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, is you come from a traumatic upbringing, whether that be emotional or financial or whatever or mm-hmm. both,
0: yeah,
1: um, you have to fight significantly harder to get out of that hole. And so the people that rise out of that, they have these feedback loops, these, these coping mechanisms that are there to help you. And they're very good to have, and they get you out of that situation. But then once you have success, Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How when, after he had success. Only four hours that, a week, but hey. Yeah, it just wouldn't stop. Uh-huh. And it's like an engine. Uh, Elon Musk talks about this on Joe Rogan when he had that podcast and everyone freaked out. He smoked pot or whatever on Joe Joe Rogan. But he talked about, he's like, my mind is like an explosion that never stops. He's like, you wouldn't very much like to be me and to have my brain. And like, I know on my own level, I can't say what he feels like, but I've dealt with that. where Uh it's like, I don't know how to turn it off. And all I see is opportunity. And all I see is grow. And I've had to, it's like the bird of Hermes. Like I've had to clip my wings to like, keep that. I've had to learn how to put governors on myself. I've had to learn how to focus on myself and the people around me and optimize for a life that is healthy for me rather than just give in to, you know, the intuition and the drive and the whatever. Because that's kind of sexy, you know, like, Oh, it's like the social network movie where they're just, you know, pounding Adderall and energy drinks. And they're just working all night. And like, there's this kind of weird, at least in the United States, this mm-hmm. kind of stupid, uh, uh, idolization and romanticism with the people that are just workaholics. And they don't see, it's one of the reasons why I love Mad men because they would, you would see Don Draper in a, in a, in a boardroom and just, great series.
0: This, hey, I love it.
1: Yeah. And uh-huh. he was great. And, but then you would also see him as the alcoholic, like completely, uh a, a neglectful father and it's like that is reality man yeah. like that is reality so, so what are you doing now to,
0: are you happy are you content what 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 is it like now
1: yeah i mean really? i feel i, I look I, I am someone who is always striving for um how can i do more you know and but i'm trying to figure out how to do that within the context of also maintaining myself so it's like there's always going to be that there's always going to be that struggle More than entrepreneurship yeah? Huh? More of a balance. Yes, absolutely. Like I constantly see ideas and things I, I, if I could clone myself a thousand times, I would start so many businesses and do so many things. I have so many ideas, Yeah. but the thing is, is what I've had to learn is like ideas are great and you can have amazing ideas. It doesn't mean you have to execute on them.
0: Yeah. Well, you, that's what founders do. You know, they do one thing and three months later they want to do something else.
1: Yeah. And I've had to learn how to dial that back because like uh, one of the things that's been very insightful for me is uh, Derek Sivers talked about how like you could, he started a company called CD baby when he was like 20, like somewhere around 20, like 18, whatever, doesn't matter. He was a musician and he didn't know how to code. He didn't know how to start a business. He didn't know anything. And he just learned all that stuff. And he built this service where basically you'd be able to self publish your own you have CDs printed and do whatever. Before that, you had to go through publishers, a whole big thing. He did that. And then he exited the business about a decade later. And he's like, okay, well now I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to do whatever else. And what he was saying is like a decade ago, I didn't even know how to code. I didn't know how to start a business. I was just a musician. Now like I'm successful, blah, blah, all these things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go start something else. And he's like, you could look at your life as a series of like 10 year sprints. And like, I tend to look at mine as a series of like two year sprints. Again, I'm like, I'm like a two to four year person because even if I do something for four years, I look back at like, okay, well I'm gonna do this for two years and then maybe maybe I re up for, I'm gonna subscribe for another two years. So you're not someone
0: who works in one place their whole life and then retires and dies basically. That's not what you do, right?
1: No, and even if I'm like based here in my hometown, it's like, I'm still constantly like, I mean, COVID notwithstanding, like traveling. That's like I said, like last year, it's like, I went to all across the United States and Canada. And, like, I foresee doing that again once, you know, things get a little less you crazy. Did, you so. want to do it
0: again at a certain point? Oh, yeah. I mean, I want to travel. I think I'll travel but less. Shorter periods uh, of time? Would you do it differently? You said the last time we spoke, you said you can do more campground and stuff like that,
1: right? So- It depends on how I was going to travel. So if I was doing it by RV, yeah, I think I would do more campgrounds. I think I would try to find more rural campgrounds. I don't like the idea of being packed in like sardines in some RV park. Like that's just, that's just depressing to me. Uh, But I think I would try and find places that I could kind of just uh, stay at for periods of time. And then you know have like places I could kind of Uber out to the towns or whatever, or like maybe I just get like a scooter or something like that. I don't know. Like, see, now it's like I've got a partner. We got a dog. It's like it's a lot more complicated when it was just me. I you could just take kind a of go dog off if do you, Harvey. Uh, Not necessarily, but he's a greyhound shepherd mix, and he's a big boy. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> you know, my RV, <laughs> yeah, my I, I w- probably would have to get a bigger RV. The RV mm. now I got is like an 18 footer. I, I like the foots. fact how small. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, it's very yeah. small. Like That's I can fit big, it in yeah. a single parking spot, a normal parking spot. Most of the time, I liked it that way because mm-hmm. it made it made it easier for me. To kind of be incognito in the parking places, but yeah, if I was gonna do it with my partner and like the dog and all that stuff, and we're taking a quick weekend trip or something, it's fine. But like, sure. if I'm going to be doing it full time, yeah, I'd probably have to upgrade it like a bigger class C or like a class A or something like that. And mm. then you start getting into all the other stuff. And then I'm just thinking about how much time it takes, and I'm like, I would rather just take a week trip and go to a mm-hmm. cabin or something like that, you know, or take two weeks off and go do whatever, or, like or just a go fly out
0: next time around, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's so much work. And I often found that like towards the end, at least like the juice started to not be worth the squeeze personally. Like another thing that would be appealing to me is like renting out a house for like a month or two Mm -hmm. in a place and then going somewhere else and just being super transient. Uh, that would be something I would definitely be down for. I think a lot more than maybe you don't you like to
0: place. That's the problem. If you have an RV, you don't like it. You can just move on. If
1: yeah, you yeah But I think for I would probably scope out. I think I'd scope out the towns before I did that. You right. know, like I would, I would take like a like a, a trip there, just rent like an Airbnb, just to see so if you like, like, like it or not. Just see if I like it, yeah. and then I'd be like, <laughs> okay, well, you know, in a month or two, we'll go do this or that or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it's, I've gotten really good uh, through the traveling of just being able to look at a place on Google maps and just see the kind of places that are there mm-hmm. and see the geography of the place so you and kind it of it, go yeah? on Reddit. And I, yeah, I got really, really good at sussing out if I felt like I would like the place or not. Like, So, okay. so I'm not really too worried about that anymore. That's just me personally. I, it would be hard for me to explain why, I guess, but sure. there's just a lot of intuitions well, you that you I've had. This.
0: You've been there, you know, move on to the yeah. next thing, right?
1: Yeah. 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 But there's there's so much i mean i'm really curious to see how things change i mean my hypothesis is something that i had i was thinking particularly when i was down in the keys because like i i came there a couple months after the big hurricane came through and just destroyed parts of it and what i saw Uh yeah what i saw was like the more well-off keys because i mean it's a series of islands that are just connected basically by like a two-lane highway okay um and what I saw was the more uh, rich keys, if you will, uh, they, they came back really quick where like after like three, four months after it happened and like I went there, like you barely even noticed anything happened. I mean, you see some trees that were like kind of messed up and mm-hmm. uprooted and whatever brushes. So, I mean, there was evidence, but the houses themselves were fine yeah. because they were either in the process of being renovated or they'd already had it done. But then, or there was new development happening or whatever, but then, you know, you go to Big Pine Key, which was by far, it's like the Texas of the keys. I mean, it's huge. And like, that's where a lot of the working class people were, the people that mm-hmm. work in the bars, in the restaurants, or whatever. And sure. maybe they inherited that house, multi-generational, whatever. You go through areas of that and it's like, it looked like New Orleans after Katrina. Like, I, it's just like, there's just like, that there's still in. areas. Uh, there's still areas like in New Orleans where like, the houses are still just like messed up Mm -hmm. after all this time. And like, that's kind of what it looked like in the keys where it's just like, cause I went back a year later, uh, just last year, actually. Uh, I was a little more than that year, but like uh, about a, yeah, about a year ago, I went back to visit one of my friends that lives down there. And, uh, there's still areas, a big pine key where the houses are just messed up. And, and, and so I'm thinking about that in the keys where the property values are like ridiculous. And even those areas, they haven't cut, co- like they haven't rebuilt or whatever. What's going to happen to all these coastal towns where they're not that well off? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, it's just not going to be economical. The property values aren't going to be worth anything as climate change happens, as mm-hmm. the sea levels start rising, hurricanes, tornadoes, all this stuff happens. And I'm really curious to see what happens. And frankly, like I start seeing you know um what's happening with you know the camper vans and everything else and like my hypothesis is that particularly i think the covid thing just astronomically increased this by you know five maybe even ten years i don't i don't know like which these are all lagging indicators like Mm -hmm. we're not really going to know for a while um year year and a half what do you think uh, to, I, I don't know. I mean, my hypothesis, uh, what, what, what I, what I've heard from several friends who are in the financial sector, pretty high up and yep. have a lot of data is we're not really going to be seeing a rebound until the end of next year. End
0: and of next year, end of uh, that's 2021, 2021. So that's the yes.
1: starting then, in 2022 then, yeah. Yeah. To the, the start of 2022 is when you're actually going to see like a real uptick, but okay. it's going to start the oh, end of next year. That's pretty so negative. like, <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like we, we've been holding off a uh, depression for a really long time here in the United States. We've been artificially pumping the market to keep it afloat. That's all another conversation, but like mm. chickens are coming home to roost in a lot of ways. And, but, but how I see that affecting like people that are travelers and nomads is like, I think you know, now like we've created this culture of location independence, everyone's zooming, doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's one factor. Now people are like, I don't want to be in LA. I don't want to be in Seattle or Portland. I don't want to be in New York anymore because it's so expensive. Why am I paying all this to be here? And I can't even go out. And a lot of people are now because they've been so addicted to going out and getting drinks and doing whatever. Now mm-hmm. that they haven't been able to do it I'm starting to realize perhaps that, you know, maybe they're developing, hobbies and doing whatever. And like a lot of people that I know that used to be traveling all the time and out all the time, super extroverts. They're just like, uh, not everybody, of course, but Mm -hmm. some of them in particular that were really surprising to me. They're just like, I actually started, you know, playing guitar. I started doing this. I started doing that. I actually really enjoy my alone time now, or they're working on a side hustle or they're doing whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you mix those two elements and people being like, I don't need to be here anymore. So now you're going to start having i think there's going to be a huge uh sea change and here in the united states and i'm curious i can not think speak you know what i united think states. everywhere
0: you know it's not just the states. I think it's, it's, yeah i think it's gonna be everywhere yeah, yeah, i can just
1: speak to my own experience because sure. i know yeah. the u.s well um but i think you're gonna have this sea change from people going from the big cities to the more rural areas and then that's only at the same time now you have the other factor of climate change yeah. where particularly the south going to get really hot. Uh, the tornado, the the tropical storms and hurricanes, I mean, have only yeah, increased, yeah, increased a couple years. It's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so as you start having that, those coastal towns, I mean, the, the Southern Florida is just going to be gone. Like it's made out of limestone. That's just like Swiss cheese. That's why Miami's having such problems right now. It was crazy when I was in big pine key, there's this big nature preserve. And they talked about how they actually had a graph showing how like I forget I, I don't quote me on it, but like you, you, you people could look it up. But uh, it was like a million years ago, like all of uh, the keys were like completely like one one thing, and then like you know five hundred thousand years ago, like, it was all it was all like kind of where it is now. Then two hundred fifty thousand years ago, it was all underwater, and then it, again it came back. It was some some sort of thing like that, some sort of ebb and flow and this is a normal thing that happens mm-hmm. like most of southern florida and the keys completely underwater some of it like the keys are almost like one thing and and they're not even islands this is a normal thing uh whatever the climate change is man made or not it doesn't matter it's happening mm-hmm. and like we're not going to be able to get around it unless some sort of you know willie Wonka, elon musk comes and has some magical device or whatever but i'm not i'm not a you know it is what it is so i think what's going to happen is you know, ultimately I think we'll survive and I think we'll be fine. Uh, we're very uh, resourceful creatures and we always kind of find a way. But what I do see happening is like the coast continuing to become unattractive, even more so. You have all those things. Everyone's going to be going inland and those property values are going to go you up. Really so, a lot. Yeah. You really think so? Oh, you really think so? Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. There's nothing in my being that's, I mean, it's one of the reasons I came back here, quite frankly, uh, because the Keys was one of the last places that I was before I came back here, I was, and then I came, I basically made my way up. I went to Orlando to see a friend and I went to Savannah, Georgia and I went to Asheville, North Carolina. I, I kind of stopped at some places along the way, sure. but that was just along the way. I was definitely, I went to the Keys and I'm like, okay, I'm going back home. And I went back to Ohio and then I got back to Ohio and I'm like, yeah, I need to, I need to have a base of operations here. I need to get property here. I need to get prepared. So it
0: was the Keys that made you go back.
1: In a way. Yeah. yeah. It was just the timing, but it was, it was those yeah. conversations with people and it was seeing the the, the physical, naturalistic effects of that and where things are going. Mm-hmm. Key's really opened my eyes. Talking to a lot of people down there about the realities of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting. People are like, yeah, I had this house for, you know, we my, my family's had this house for three generations and they're just like, eh, my kids probably aren't going to have it. You know that, and it's just really interesting having those conversations with people. So, what I take out of that, and there is a positive to this, (laughs) is that it's coming. I I know it's coming. It's coming. Okay. So, what I I see happening is property values are going to go up, and people are going to be more nomadic because they're going to be able to basically have. Uh, the freedom to work online, work remote. Sure, people are going to be a lot less location. You can
0: learn online as well. They don't have to go. To learn online, somewhere. you can do whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, this two of my clients are in online education, so it's interesting it's seeing booming. a lot of the statistics there. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's booming. So you see that happening, and I think that this culture is going to be very much so welcomed. And then you have that kind of like, hey, like you've got you know maybe like rural kind of uh, RV kind of part. I mean, one of the things that came to mind was like this. This idea of having these tiny houses or like these areas where you create these kind of rural um, communities that are like tiny houses that you can rent or or uh, that more or less are kind of in the rural areas but they're segmented in a way where like people have privacy like trees planted there's a whole bunch of people that are doing these kind of developments yeah, yeah, that I've been talking I've seen to tiny houses.com so,
0: uh, or something like that right i believe it is. Yeah, yeah yeah so
1: there's just so much stuff happening and i think we're going to have a much more uh nomadic Friendly culture, and I think part of that is going to be, you know, due to COVID. Some of it's going to be due to climate change. Some of it's going to be economical. I mean, if you're a business right now and you were predominantly based on the, having a huge stationary location, I mean, think about the insurance that you would have to pay, like even business insurance. All these things that, like, just the liability. Uh, alone like these are things that most people are just not considering like there, is, the push for going fully online uh sustainably is like it's it's here it's it's staying and it's so I, I think it's going to be really cool um i'm definitely not getting rid of my rv that's for sure the only way i get rid of it is if i was i got a bigger one and and whatever but i'm definitely keeping it and Businesses
0: so, they can save I, a lot of money that way as well you know and they can yeah really scale yeah, down the office space and everything it's amazing yeah yeah I've seen it so here not, in London, This business, I said, well, no more office. You can just work from home. It's the same thing anyway.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I mean, what they're working on right now, I think like even, I think even Elon Musk is ha is working on, uh, this, this sort of, uh, global satellite based internet, high-speed internet, or you yeah. can get it anywhere. I mean, those are all, that's all coming. So like, once you have that. Isn't he doing like and, a
0: satellite net somewhere? Like all, yeah. uh, like very dense, but same speed everywhere. Indeed. That, that's quite amazing, actually, isn't it? So you can work basically in the middle of Africa somewhere and have the same speed internet. So it doesn't really make a difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's going to be, I think it's just going to enable things. I think there's just going to be a lot of opportunity. And, um, I would say like, you know, kind of in closing, like, I would just say mm-hmm. that if you're someone who's considering doing this and doing it, like really look into, maybe ask people that are influencers, if they'll be honest or anyone that you know, if there's all these communities online of people that are digital meds or whatever, go on there and just kind of talk with people and ask about like, What's the hard parts of traveling? Whatever else, just kind of have an idea. What look? Look uh, on Reddit. There's a huge amount of people on mm-hmm. Reddit on yeah. the nomad. They just put in like difficulties or like, hey, uh, digital nomads. All, all it's cracked up people, or whatever. I'm not trying to persuade you from not from from not doing it. All. It's romantic. I'm trying to people say, don't want to do, do it.
0: it. They think, hey, this is something that is really really cool. It's really romantic. This is something that I really want to try. They don't want to know yeah. about the the trouble that you might have.
1: But it's important to know that so that you can prepare yourself and have accurate representations. Cause the last thing that you want, this is what happens a lot. I've talked to a lot of people that like want to get into digital nomad stuff. They talk to me about it. Like, Oh, you should talk to Josh or whatever. And, um, they, one of the things when people go off and do it, is if they decide that they don't wanna do it anymore or they wanna land in a specific location, let's Mm -hmm. say after a year, Mm -hmm. they feel kind of weird because now they just label themselves a digital nomad. They just left their job and they left their place, they left whatever and they did it and they feel like, oh, I'm gonna be a fraud or whatever. I'm gonna feel embarrassed because a lot of times people are like, oh, you'll be back, you'll be back. And And the thing is, is like, maybe you will be back and that's fine what I would say is treat everything as a series of experiments say, Hey, I'm going to try this for six months. I'm going to try this for a year. See if you like it and just tell everybody that, Hey, I'm going to try this for like, you know, I'm going to try this for a little bit. Might be six months, might be a year. I'm just going to try it and see if I like it. Keep, don't, don't, don't keep your expectations for yourself and for other people really like level and balance because then if you do decide to come back people are like oh okay that's cool well they went out there and they tried it they said they were going to try it and it wasn't for them that's cool but when you label yourself like i am a digital nomad nomad." you have to keep going yeah yeah and like there's a lot of people that Mm -hmm. like keep doing even some people that run some of those communities they don't even do it anymore Mm -hmm. didn't even really like it but they feel like they just it's a business yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not really that's not that's not cool it's like what do you again ask yourself what am i optimizing for Mm. so I am totally a proponent of going off and having your weird Anthony Bourdain like adventures. Go do it, go do it. It was amazing for me. I don't regret it at all. There's not a single fire in my being. I, if I could, if I had to do it all over again, exactly the way I did it, I totally would. Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I went back to, uh, you know, 2016, Josh, Josh Boone, like when, when I first went off of the road, I would totally just do it exactly how I did it before. Um, because I needed to have that experience. I needed to want to change. I needed to want to have a home base again. Like I had to experience all that. And I, I think it would be really helpful for a lot of people. However, mm-hmm. do know what you're getting yourself into yeah, so yeah. that you can prepare yeah. for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, one thing that might be interesting for people is like every year I, I have like January, early January, January, January uh, the 10th for me, for, for personal reasons. But uh, I, I basically consider it almost like my death. And like, I just kind of say, hey, if I have a year left to live, like if I got diagnosed with a cancer. A year right. or a day? Yeah, oh, I have like a, a year, oh, year like okay. on that day. Just yeah. pick a day. It could be any day. I I personally would recommend like late December or like the first week of January uh-huh. for a couple of reasons. After
0: Christmas. Huh.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what happens is that everybody is on holiday right. and the world just kind of shuts down and nobody's expecting anything. So you actually can take time off and just think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great time to do it. Also, everyone's already kind of in that mindset anyway, where, you know, they're doing new year's resolutions where I think the resolutions things stupid personally. I, what I instead like to think about is like, uh, ask myself, I don't think the resolutions work. It's like a task list. It doesn't usually work. But what, instead I would think about it is like, okay, I, I imagine I have a year left to live. What would I do? Am I happy doing what I'm doing now? Like what I do it? Um. What, what else do I do? What What has been unsaid? What has been undone? And obviously, like you don't take that to a crazy degree. Like you go around and you know start like telling everybody your goodbyes and stuff. Stop but, however, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but you uh, you just go full Dexter or something. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like it, it's not to that degree. Although I will say, I do actually reconnect. Uh, with some people I haven't talked to in a while oh, because I'm like, okay. wow, I let that go. I let that relationship go a little bit because you just get caught up in things. Mm-hmm. like, Hey, I haven't talked to my buddy, Steve in three months. What the hell? I love him. He's one of my favorite people. I need to talk to him. So um, that can happen. But what I get, I get out of it is I ask myself that I hear what what I do. And and then I just say, what am I optimizing for in my life right now? And that changes. Even this last, I took about a month off this last, about halfway through December and halfway through January. I basically just took a month off. And I just did a lot of that and we kind of pivoted the company again where we started working more with like founders directly and a little less about the marketing thing. Mm -hmm. And like, also I decided like, hey, I'm going to start doing these podcasts and I'm going to start talking to people as an experiment. And I'm like, yeah. Hey, I'm going to see if I enjoy this. Because like, one of the things is I feel like I need to share just personally, what I got out of it as an example is like, I'm like, I need to share some of these things that I've learned with people because I would feel like I taught, the. it's not an ego thing. It's just like, I've had some conversations with no, people. It's good You can help it, people,
0: you know, it's very, yeah. Good. It's, it's and amazing. yeah I, I've sure. been
1: able to like help steer, just share some of my experiences. Like yep. I, I've had to learn things the hard way a lot, but also what I try to do is look for, What are future, what are people that have gone farther down the path earlier than me Mm -hmm. and what's worked for them and what hasn't, you know? And that's why, what you know, Bourdain was such a cautionary tale for me because like I saw a lot of myself in him, you know? addiction and a lot of other things. I, I thankfully haven't had you know, alcoholism or drug addiction. It is in my family, but I personally haven't dealt with it. However, I had a work addiction yeah. and it stems from the same place. If you read like Dr. Gabor Mate and uh, a lot of these uh, psychologists on, uh, on 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 addiction, workaholism stems from the exact same place, or usually early childhood trauma, mm-hmm. and it's a coping mechanism. So I I have my own coping mechanism through just working and working and working. And that's, you know, again, I don't, I don't mean to pry too much into his personal life, but I'm looking at him and I'm like, okay, well that, that, having the ultimate job and having the ultimate thing and having all this success and being an international name, all, if I, whatever I wanted to do, if I go to the most extreme version of it, Uh is somebody like me like happy because of it? And the answer was like, no, no. And I saw that not just through Bourdain, but through other people as well. And so I'm like, huh, okay, that's a dead end for me. I don't need to spend more time going down that path. And then I look at something like a David Bowie, who, you know, he was he was kind of had a similar uh workaholism and then he had a stroke uh in the early two thousands while he was touring, it was like, Oh wow, okay, I gotta stop. Mm. And that was the thing that woke him up, kind of like how the ulcer woke me up. And then he basically just became a stay at home dad. He had a second kid kind of late. Uh, and he just basically became a second, a stay at home dad in New York until he had those d- last two albums. But he did, he was basically a recluse for like a decade. Uh, not, not out of like any sort of, I don't want to talk to people, but just cause he just wanted to do whatever the hell he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and then he decided after a decade, like I actually kind of want to work on some music again for me. Not cause I want status or anything. I just want to work on music for me. And he worked on those songs for a while and then he recorded it. And then that last album, Black Star, which I think is the best thing he's ever done personally. He, he, you know, diagnosed with cancer. And he's like, um, I'm going to spend the, the rest of the, the last like, 18 months of my life doing a musical, which he never got to do. Uh, he always wanted to do a musical. And he decided to do that for himself. And then he wrote this album to kind of like put it out into the world, which to me was like a big call to action. And I was just like, wow, man, that guy wanted life. Like he made deaf art. And what's so crazy is he said in the seventies, that's what he wanted to do. He's like, I want to make my deaf art. And he did it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that dude wanted life. Like he got to have all this success and all this stuff. And then he got to just be a stay at home dad. He also
0: could afford it. huh? He could afford it.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But what I'm just saying is like, he pretty much in my, like my perspective, I didn't know him personally, but I'm yeah. like, that dude like wanted life as much as I compete from the outside. Like mm-hmm. he lived on his terms and I'm like that, that's kind of what, that, that's a, that's a, that's a healthy template for me. So I think about that every day. Like, you know, Hey, if I, if I, uh, if I had a year left to live, like what would I do? And that just kind of keeps you, that becomes your guiding kind of North star.
0: I think that's a very positive end note.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Where can people find you?
1: Yeah. Uh, so you just check us out at purewebresults.com uh, Pure or go on Represults. LinkedIn. Yeah.
0: Anywhere else? Or?
1: Yeah, you go on LinkedIn, uh, look us up on there, or, or just Josh Boone. I think it's just linkedin.com forward slash Josh Boone or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. if you just want to continue the conversation or anything you want to chat about, just, just give me a shout on there. So brilliant.
0: That's about it. Brilliant. brilliant. Let's do that. Um, and thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was the podcast with Joss from Dayton, Ohio, from Pure Rep Results. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes and on our website. Um, you can find the latest news, obviously, on the website, that's podcast.earth. Uh, you have been listening to Peter De Vries. Um, thank you for doing so. Please don't forget to tune in next time as we're going to talk with climate care. Thank you.